What's the most bizarre religious trial in the history of the Christian Church? And what was the pilgrim's favorite type of music? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective in life with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. So, we're back to our normal trivia format. (laughs) All right, what's the most bizarre religious trial in the history of the church, Marcia? Well, it's probably before the... um Witch trials, right? Yes. It probably goes back to, what, the Huguenots or something? Are you asking me witch trial, Marsh, or witch <laughs> trial? <laughs> oh, oh, oh what, a, what a quick wit we have. <laughs> this goes back to 897. Uh, you know, it's before my time, thank God. I never right. heard of this before. All right, Pope me. Stephen VI put his predecessor on trial. Uh, the only problem was his predecessor, Pope Formosus, was dead. <laughs> so here's what happened. Pope Stephen VI exhumed the rotting corpse of his predecessor and put him on trial. This was a time of great political intrigue within the church. Pope Stephen was sponsored by one of the powerful Roman families, the Dukes of Spoleto, who contested the papacy at the time. So this is all politics. Okay. So the late Pope's corpse propped up on a throne. A deacon was appointed to answer questions for the deceased pontiff. Good Lord. And during the trial, Formosus' corpse... That's F-O-R-M-O-S-U-S. His corpse was condemned for performing the functions of a bishop after he had been deposed and for accepting the papacy while he was the bishop of Porto. These don't seem like huge crimes today. (laughs) The deacon put up a spirited defense, but the corpse was eventually found guilty of perjury. His punishment, (laughs) he had his three sacred fingers, the blessing fingers, broken off of the corpse, and he was stripped of his sacred clothing and dressed in layman's clothes and reburied and later exhumed again and tossed into a river. This happened in the name of Christ. Could you believe that? If it's not one thing, it's another. The trial became known as the Cadaver Synod. Yeah. (laughs) And it became a scandal. It ultimately led to Pope Stephen VI's downfall and death. He was imprisoned, and he died of strangulation. Oh, there's a lot of papal history mystery. If you read history, you'll find out some pretty bizarre things. (laughs) And you can read about it in Wikipedia. Yeah. I found out about that first from a book called That's a Fact, Jack, and then I looked into it and, of course, went down this Wikipedia rat hole. But, oh, my God, what a weird time. That's 897 ADs when that happened. Okay, Bob, what was the Pilgrim's favorite type of music? The Pilgrim's favorite type of music. It wasn't rap, and it wasn't rock and roll. Well, it it was half of that. It was half of that. It was rock. Yeah. Pilgrim's favorite music was Plymouth Rock. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, I can't believe that's the answer. Sorry, sorry. I had to go for that. All right, I'll give you another one. Okay. All right. According to the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization, what is the most widely eaten meat in the world? I think it's pork, isn't it? The most widely eaten meat in the world is pork, right? You have to give me an answer, not a question. The answer is pork. Pork by 36%. (laughs) Poultry, second, 33%. Beef, third, 24%. And coming up, last place, that's fourth, is goats and sheep meat, 5%. 
goats and sheep meat. I guess yes. that's lamb, right? Things like that. Goats slash sheep. Yeah, it would be lamb and goats. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I have some uh, <laughs> questions on words now. I like words. Saw this recently in the New York Times. I thought it was interesting. What's the origin of the word hedge? Like hedge your bets. Or hedge funds. Hedge or funds, what's yes. What's the origin? Hedge, does it have anything to do with uh, greenery? Yes, it does. And it has to do with putting green bushes around your house to keep everybody out? Yeah, you got it. Ning, 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 ning. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, believe it or not, it comes from the plant world and hedges. Now, what is a hedge? A hedge is a row of closely planted shrubs, not shrubs that just happen to be there. Right. But shrubs you intentionally plant closely together to denote property ownership to keep in livestock and to protect land from wild animals or other threats. Well, hedges in the English countryside go all the way back to the Bronze Age. Oh, geez. That's how far back they go. And uh, again, they're designed to protect property. Eventually, the word hedge began being used as a verb. When do you think the phrase to hedge a bet first appeared? How far back do you think that goes? A hundred years ago? 200 years ago? To hedge your bet? To hedge a bet. Okay, 1673. Wow, 1672. Really? Yes. <laughs> wow, I'm hot That's today. amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's when that first appeared. Of course, a person who hedges a bet is trying to protect his or herself from a loss by making a counterbalancing bet. And now we have hedge funds and all these other things. If you invest in a hedge fund, you're trying to protect yourself from risk. So today, as 400 years ago, the word hedge refers to something to protect and reduce risk. Yeah. Well, isn't that something? Well, you did it right, and you got the right answer. I did. I did. You were I a did. winner. Let's talk string cheese. Oh, okay. We love our string cheese here in Wisconsin. <laughs> and one of our own Wisconsin dairies, the Wahawiga Star Dairy, in 2021 broke its own Guinness Book of World Records for the world's longest piece of string cheese. How long was it? How long is the longest string cheese? Yes. We say string cheese, but people might not know what that is. Mostly it's in sticks and you can take it apart or you can buy a little loop-de-loop. This was done for the world's record, so maybe it was a mile long. A mile long. A mile long string of cheese. No. Okay. That's a little much. Okay, 100 feet. It was more than that. It, really? Yes. 3,832 feet. Well, that's like two-thirds of a mile. That's oh, pretty good. Or equal to 30,000 individual string cheese sticks like you like. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. That would last me a few years. It would. 30,000. Yes. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the cheese took around five hours to make and 90 minutes to unravel. Jeez. The cheese was presented with a long line of residents standing seven feet apart across three blocks each holding a share of it. <laughs> Jeez. Afterward, participants got to take home a big piece of cheese with them. Well, of course they would, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. hopefully. They stretched it out. Guinness came. They measured it and said, yep, you win. And uh, they cut the cheese. Lots of cheese. Cut the cheese. Well, they better cut the cheese if it's that long. Okay, Marcia, what shoe company recently produced just 521 pairs of its most elite product? And why? A shoe company. Well, that would be uh, Nike. No. That would be Adidas. That would be Adidas, yes. That's the first half of the question. Now, why did they only produce 521 pairs? 
because that's all that the star basketball player would allow to have his name put on? No. Okay, that's my only guess. But it does have to do with the market for the shoe, Uh okay? So you're right. The company is Adidas. They only produced 521 pairs of their Adizero Adio Pro Evo number one (laughs) shoe. Number one. Yes. That's because they're targeted to an elite group Athletes who can run a marathon in three hours, 30 minutes, or faster. So they built shoes just for these runners. Yeah. And you may think, well, I don't run marathons, or I can't run marathons that fast, but that sounds like a durable shoe for me, right? Yeah. That could last me many months or many races. Well, no. While these shoes may cost $500 each, they only last long enough for one marathon. Why? That's just the way they're made. They got paper in them? Made by Adidas for very elite runners. Oh, my goodness. And it's called again? What's the name well, of it? Adizero Audio Pro 1 <laughs> Shoe. That's a lot to put in on the tongue of your no shoe. No wonder there's only 521 yeah, pairs. Say, yeah. yeah, oh, that's funny. 521 <laughs> pairs. So there's only 521 people in the world that got these. Okay, Bob. Guinness Book of Records. One more time. Wenzel's Farm in Marshfield, Wisconsin, recently broke the record for the longest meat stick. There's something. <laughs> so we got cheese, cheese. sticks and now meat I'm, sticks. Yeah, this is a, this. I'm putting together a whole charcuterie board based <sighs> on the Guinness Book of World Records. Okay. How long was that meat stick, Bob? That's in the Book of Records. Is, was it as long as the string cheese? Was it at least three thousand feet long? No. Okay. What was it? It was. Uh, more than a football field, 314 feet. That's a long meat stick. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, just picture how big and long a football field is. Picture a meat stick. That's amazing. You, you like those, though, don't Yes, you? they're good. Yes. Those turkey sticks and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what we get, the turkey sticks. You know, occasionally on this show, Marsha will intentionally ask me a question so I can do an impression, which is fun. Thank you, Marsha. You're welcome. Years ago, one of the first things Marsha and I did was sell a series of tapes for people who had telephone answering machines. Right, when they first, they were very popular in the 80s. That's right. And one of the first people you impersonated was Dr. Ruth. Oh, yes. Remember that? Oh, yes. Well, I want people to hear that now. I don't think I can do her anymore. What may say? Well, we can play the recording. Here we go. Speaking sexually, you're on the air. Thank you very much for using the suggested hand manipulation to dial this number. You know what you've got to do now, don't you? Contact a professional therapist or leave a message when you hear the tone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, I Bob. love that. I love that. Well, that was Dr. Ruth Westheimer, or Marsha's impression of that. And guess what? The speaking sexually guru of the 80s and 90s is back. She's now got a different focus on loneliness. Oh, okay. She's in her 90s now. Wow. She said she noticed loneliness in society got worse with the pandemic. And uh, believe me, she understands loneliness. She was born an only child to a Jewish couple in Germany when she was 10. Nazi soldiers stormed into their little apartment and dragged her father off to a labor camp. She never saw him again. And then six weeks later, her mom and her grandmother put her on a train to Switzerland with other Jewish kids so they could live there during the war. And she never saw them again. Uh She lived there 
all the war. At age 17, she wrote in a diary, I live with 150 people and I am alone. So she knows what loneliness is about. So she lobbied recently, the uh, governor of New York, figured she could help with loneliness, and she became the New York State Loneliness Ambassador. So now at age 95, she does public speaking, workshops, seminars, and public service announcements to help people with loneliness. She says there are two things you can do to work through any hardship, continually embark on new projects, and do things to help others. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking loneliness, I don't know if you can do a funny routine on that, Marsh. I don't think, Bob. <laughs> speaking of presidents. Oh, okay. <laughs> are we speaking of presidents no, now? we are now. What president proclaimed the White House as the official name of his residence? What president proclaimed uh, the White House as his official residence? As the official name of his residence. It wasn't always called the White House to this guy. Oh, who was it? It was Teddy Roosevelt. Really? Yep. Teddy declared in 1901 by presidential proclamation that the executive mansion should henceforth be known as the White House. Mm. People often referred to it as the White House, but it was Teddy who formalized it and was the first to use that term on presidential stationery. Well, I didn't know that. It took that long to really make it formal. Interesting. Well, 1901, yeah. All right, Marcia. Um... I have a question for you, a couple movie questions. So let's just do one, then we'll take a break, okay? What is the most successful Hollywood movie franchise of all time? Any idea? Oh, Star Wars? That's number two. Okay. Uh, Star Trek? No. Stargazing? It's got more (laughs) films than any other franchise. Franchise, yeah. You know, with sequels, prequels, everything else. Oh, gosh. What is the most successful Hollywood movie franchise of all time? We'll have the answer (laughs) after this. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Okay, we're back, and we have a question on movies. We want to remind you that we do the Off-Ramp show for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, every week, and then we put it out on the podcast platforms, and it runs all over. The world. Oh, God. (laughs) Didn't think it was going to happen, Marsh. Okay. I didn't know what you were doing over here. What's wrong with him? And it runs... All over the world. That's right, Marsha. <laughs> Speaking of world's records... Yes. What's the most successful Hollywood movie franchise of all time? Now, you gave me one guess. That was the Star Wars movies. Yeah. No, that's number two. Okay. There oh. were 12 Star Wars movies. 12 wow. films so in the Star Wars more? series. Yeah. Gosh. Is it something I we've seen and I should know? Is it Marvel? Yes, it's Marvel. Ah. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is the the name of it, actually. More than 30 films have been done. Really? Under the Marvel name. As of 2023, 32 films to be exact. These films have grossed a combined $29.5 billion in revenue. And like you said, Star Wars, its 12 films have done $10.3 billion in business. <sighs> Okay, Bob, what is the geographic center of the 48 contiguous states? Okay, that is a that is on a farm in Kansas, oh, I believe, isn't it? Yes. yes. Yes, it is. You mean the answer is ning, 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 yes. ning. You're right, Bob. Yes, you do. Thank you. You, you win a turkey leg leftover to take <laughs> home. Uh, look no further than a nondescript field north of Lebanon, Kansas. Not much marks this otherwise typical stretch of Midwestern farmland except for a nearby historical marker, which you 
love. Mm -hmm. I love historical markers. <laughs> I mean, the kids would try to divert your attention from every sideway. <laughs> Dad, look over here. Look this way, and the um, historical marker was on the other side. That was mean. You it, guys no, were mean to me. We thought it was funny. All but our road trips. The historical marker notes that the location was determined by the U.S. Geological Survey and that the point is where a plain map of the 48 states would balance if it were of uniform thickness. Now think of that. Wow. It would balance at that point. In earlier times, this accolade garnered enough tourists for a motel. It at was that a, location? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was a big deal. But while the souvenirs remain in downtown Lebanon, the motel has since closed up okay. shop. <laughs> Just <laughs> not see, that, enough people. That moved across the country as the country grew. It did. Yeah, so it moved from the Midwest to the far Midwest, which is where it is now. They consider that the oh, Midwest. Oh, because they kept the adding plain. states? Your country gets bigger. Yeah, okay. Where's the that center of sense. all these states? Okay. All right, Marcia. Oh, just a quickie. Kansas is named after the Kenza tribe, whose name means wind people. Oh, okay. Didn't know that? That's no, pretty, I didn't Isn't either. that lovely? The wind people. The wind people. Yeah. And that was a um, trivia question about a milestone there, right? Because it's the place where it's the geographic center of the United States. And I have a milestone question <laughs> oh, for you, Marsha. I Marcia. was wondering, what was the transition there, Bob? Okay. Where does the term milestone, milestone come, come from? from? Yeah. Well, that's easy. They uh, used to use stones to mark off miles on the trail across the United States. Well, as they were looking for not across the, rest, the United States, Marsha, uh, across Europe, parts of Europe, parts of Europe. Yes, which part? Ancient times. Ah, uh, the Romans. Yes, yes. In ancient Rome, they had trained walkers. They walked one thousand paces at a time. They marked the distance with stone obelisks. Now, one thousand paces equals approximately four thousand eight hundred feet. Five thousand two hundred eighty feet is in a mile. So the stones were just short of a mile apart, and they became known as mile stones. Really? Because they were close enough. Oh, okay. Close enough, but no oh, cigar. All right. All right, one more. What are the origins of the word shrift, like short shrift? Oh, well, shrift, yes. Uh, um, what is a shrift, Marcia? Well, I was just thinking about that earlier today, and my answer is it's a shift that has been shortened. A shift meaning yeah, something shift you would dress, wear? Yes. A shift dress. It's a name for a dress. I see. Shift. And so it's a shortened shift. Is a shrift. Is a shrift. Well, you're absolutely, absolutely wrong. wrong. Yes. <laughs> this one goes back to the church, believe it or not. A shrift is the act of hearing a confession and giving absolution. Oh, yeah? Now, let me repeat that. Shrift is hearing a confession and giving absolution. So a condemned prisoner's final confession was often brief to ensure the execution went off on time. <laughs> so while regular people might have had a longer shrift to confess their sins, condemned prisoners, they got short shrift. I would be darned. That's where it came wow. from. Oh, sorry you're getting the short shrift. Yes. We want to kill you yeah. <laughs> on time. Off you go. Yes. All right, Bob. The day after Thanksgiving is known as? Black Friday. Right. It's the busiest day of the year for what profession? For uh, retail shopping. No, this is a profession. Oh, the busiest day of the year for police? No. Busiest day of the year for what profession? I'll give you a nickname these professional people call it sometimes. Okay. Brown Friday. Brown Friday. Is it firefighters? No. 
Brown Friday. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's plumbers, Bob. Plumbers. Really? The nickname comes from the high number of service calls plumbers receive the day after a holiday that strains people's waistbands and their kitchen sinks. <laughs> Many plumbers say that Friday following Thanksgiving is twice as busy as any other day of the year. Too many people toss meat, bones, and stringy or dense foods down the disposal and it clogs everything up. Kind of ugly brown. Okay. Anyway, the day after Thanksgiving is the plumber's big day. All right, Marcia, what's unusual about the hogs living on an island off the coast of Savannah, Georgia? This oh. is a little statistic I just learned of recently in the New York Times. There was a uh, article called Off the Menu, and this was just one little fact about it. Really? What's unusual about hogs living on an island off the coast of Savannah, Georgia? Uh, I don't know. They have three nostrils in their snout? No. Okay, what? This is a breed of exceptionally fatty hogs. It's on Asabal Island off the coast of Savannah. They are the direct genetic descendants of pigs that the Spanish conquistadors oh, really? My goodness. dropped on that island 500 years ago. That's amazing. Yes. Direct genetic descendants. That makes sense that they would be isolated there because it's yeah. an island. Well, just like, well, the ravens in England, in London there at the uh, Tower of London. Yeah. Direct descendants. Going way back to the Middle Ages. Yeah, when yeah. they built that sucker. Okay, Marcia, did you know only humans and killer whales go through one particular phase of their life that other animals don't? Oh, gosh. You know what it is? I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Humans and killer whales go Have through one particular phase of their life that no other... Teenage years? I'll give you a hint. It's female humans and killer whales. Menopause? That's it. <laughs> Only humans and killer whales go through menopause. I see a correlation there between women in menopause and <laughs> killer, killer whales. whales. Well, there's, it kind of a... makes sense, yeah. <laughs> That's what it kind of seems like. All right. I remember that when you uh, you were, well, <laughs> you were doing that and Chelsea was going through puberty at the same time and I'd come home and you guys were screaming at each other and I would say to Ben, our little guy, hey, Ben, let's go to McDonald's. Let's get out <laughs> of here. What's wrong with mom and Chelsea? <laughs> yes. Hormones were coming in and going out. That's right. It's not a good mashup. No, it isn't. What side of your face, Bob, is considered the best for most people, left or right? What side of your face is yeah. considered the best? Like my profile is uh, better on one side. Have hmm. you ever looked? You probably never even looked. I don't pay attention to these I know. things. I, I should, do. I suppose, but yes. too late now. Um, <laughs> I'd say the right side of the face. It's the left side. Why is it the left side? Anybody know why? Well, they say here, according to a 2012 study from Wake Forest University, the left side of a person's face often expresses more emotion than the right. Really? And onlookers tend to find that most aesthetically pleasing. When people were asked to rate the pleasantness of male and female profiles, Presenting both a left and right cheek, the participants overwhelmingly chose the left side. I wonder why only the left side chose. That's weird. It's like you had a stroke on the right side. So the left side was showing emotion, but not the right side. Well, one theory for this left face bias is that emotion and spatial awareness is largely dominated by the right hemisphere of our brain. Oh, okay. But is lateralized to the left side of our body. So emotions are expressed more intensely on the left side of your face. Hmm. How interestingly, Western artists throughout centuries have had a bias for painting portraits with subjects displaying their left cheek, especially women like Mona Lisa. Oh. Yes. And me too. I just discovered after, you know, 30 <laughs> some years, okay, maybe longer, that I definitely look better 
coming from my left side than I the right side. I liked how you put yourself and Mona Lisa in the same sentence. That was <laughs> Should very there good. be any doubt? How about that? Well, let me take a picture of you, and we'll, we'll decide which is better. Okay. We will not post that on our Facebook page, but okay. No. <laughs> Say, I have a question for you. Pumpkin spice latte. This has been the fall season for pumpkin spice. My question for you is, how long has the Starbucks pumpkin spice latte had real pumpkin in it? Is it real pumpkin? They launched this drink in 2003. Uh-huh. So, so it's well over beginning. 20 years. Since the beginning. No. They've never had it. They didn't have it at all for years. And then? The drink, <laughs> the drink originally had no pumpkin in it. Starbucks director of espresso was Peter Duke, and his team concocted a coffee drink with cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove. And it was immediately a hit. They found its way around uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, Washington, D.C. It was first sold under the name Fall Harvest Latte. Ah. Then they changed it to pumpkin spice. But... It had no pumpkin in it for 12 years. Oh, and they started getting called out. Yes, it. because the food blogger Vanny Hari, who's known as the food babe, <laughs> began putting pressure on the chain to reveal just what were its ingredients. And then cornered in 2015, Starbucks headquarters announced its big decision to use real pumpkin. Actually, it's puree of pumpkin, but at least now there's pumpkin in there. Why is dwelling on someone's mistake called rubbing it in? Oh, that's a good question. Why is dwelling on someone's mistake called rubbing it in? Hmm. Okay, I, I give. The expression refers to the pain or discomfort of having salt rubbed into your wounds, Ooh. which in earlier times, the good old days, was both a means of torture and mm. a means of killing bacteria in your wound. You choose. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we kill them both at the same time, yeah, you maybe. and your bacteria. Uh, yes, but anyway. Really, that's where it comes from. Yeah, you're rubbing it in, and it's making things worse. Yeah, at least if it's torture. Okay, so that's where it comes from. Uh -huh. You're rubbing it in. All uh -huh. right. So, Bob, what breakfast food was once given as gifts to women after childbirth. A breakfast food that was once given as a gift to women after childbirth? Yes, it was like, here's a box of Cheerios, or not so much. No. Was it a packaged food? No. Okay, was it like eggs, for instance? Because, mm. you know, you've just given birth oh. to a child, oh, and here's good. an egg for you. Yeah. <laughs> this was replacing the egg you just got yes, rid of? Yes, yes, I like it. Okay, but no, that's no, not no, it. No, huh? but okay. this, I am enjoying the, the route you're taking to this. Go ahead, one more guess. All right, how about a bagel? <gasps> is it a bagel? It is. Really, and why? Why did you pick that? Well, that's one of your favorite things. You like bagels. You would come up with a question that relates to something you like. Yes, well, bagels like the challah, which is the bread eaten during the Jewish New Year, represents good luck because it's a circle, like a circle of life and endless blessings. If you're having a baby, they would even wear bagels around their neck as what? as necklaces. <laughs> How big were the bagels to wear around their neck? You mean well, they were hooked onto a, a necklace? Yes. Oh, dear. Well, just saying. It's uh, a look. It, yeah, it's a look, all right. <laughs> all right. Okay, that's strange. You come up with the strangest stuff sometimes. Thank you. Thank you. All right, for my end quote, Bob, a temperance committee asked President Lincoln to fire General Ulysses S. Grant because he drank too much. Right. And this is Lincoln's reply. Quote, I wish some of you would tell me the brand of whiskey that Grant drinks. I would like to send a barrel of it to every one of my other generals. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so much for that temperance committee making an impact on the president of the United States. Well, they made an impact, but it was the wrong impact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. if that's the case, I'll he, have, a, I'll have was, everybody else drink it. He was by far his best general. Yes, absolutely. He was tenacious, went after it. Uh, the others were kind of odd in how they would stop and start. Yeah. Or not start at all in yeah. the case of some of them. Yes, it all was. All right. Well, that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed our trivia, and we'll be continuing with that next time we meet again. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.